following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. In verse 1, it says that the Proverbs are given so that we might have a disciplined and successful life. A disciplined and successful life. And that's what we all want, right? We all want a disciplined and successful life. We want to lead the kind of life that is, we feel like is meaning and significant. And so we want to keep at it. We don't just want this kind of one-hit wonder, kind of one and done, like Hanson. Pray for me, my pop culture references are very old. That was the only one I could think of. One-hit wonder, Hanson. That's like 18 years old. So, um, yeah, pray for me on that. But... Uh, <laughs> But we don't want this kind of one-hit wonder. We want to be able to live a successful life, which means that we sustain success in our life, that we, we keep at it. And uh, yesterday was my son Marco's birthday. He turned eight, which was hard as a father, seeing my youngest turn eight. I'm, uh, he's so cute and just don't want him to grow up, but he's growing up right before my eyes. And Marco's got these big, cute eyes, and he can just has these facial expressions that just can kind of melt your heart. And so when we're talking about keeping after it, Marco keeps after it when he wants something. He is very good at just asking me and asking me and asking me. And, and sometimes it's like my kids are asking me for stuff, and it's like they've been asking me and asking me and asking me, and it's like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here, here people. This is the same question. It's the same answer. What is going on with this? What, I, just, I answered your question. Why won't you just take that answer? It's like they feel like I have a force field, and they feel like each time they ask a question, it's like breaking down the force field a little bit. It's like force field at 30%. Keep going. Keep asking. Keep asking. We'll get it what we want. But then one time, you know, so I just like, no, 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 no. It's like I just pee on like a tape cassette on replay. No, no, no. Tape cassette, sorry. For those of you in here, a tape cassette is something that you put in, okay. Um, (laughs) CD, I think that even is getting old. iPod, put your iPod on record, whatever. Um, But, uh, you know, so just keep playing that on record. So Marco, this one time, um, this was, was when he was younger, Kept asking me for something, asking me for something, asking me for something, and kept saying, no, 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 no. He finally got frustrated, and he said, you don't love me anymore, <laughs> because I wouldn't give him what he wanted. Of course, he was, you know, like four or five or something, so. But he was frustrated. He was frustrated because he couldn't get what he wanted. He wanted to get the success he wanted to get, but he couldn't get it, and so he was frustrated. And Oftentimes, this is where we can find ourselves. We can find ourselves not getting what we want. And we're not, I'm not talking about, about ungodly things. Sometimes we even want godly things, and we still don't get what we want. And so we end up frustrated. And when you don't get what you want, when you don't get what you hope for, when you're living with a hope that is constantly deferred in your life, you can become bitter and cynical and start to build up resentment. And, and ultimately not be what the person that God has called you to be because your, your heart is getting sick. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to those people who are dealing with a situation where I don't know what to do. Should I stay? Should I go? Uh, what should I do in my life? Because 
I'm frustrated in my life. And, and, when, and when your hope is deferred, you end up being frustrated. And one of the, one of the Proverbs that we're focusing on is Proverbs 13.12. It says, um, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. A longing fulfilled is a tree of life. See, it's like a tree of life. It's like a bush. It's, like a, it's not a bush. It's not a shrub. It's a tree. When a longing is fulfilled, it's a tree of life. It's something that keeps... And what does a tree do? A tree keeps growing. It keeps getting bigger. It keeps bearing more fruit. That's what we want our life. We want our life to have that sustainable success. That's what I want to talk to you about today. My title is The Source of Sustainable Success. The Source of Sustainable Success. Because that's what we want in our life. We don't want, kind of like I said before, this kind of one and done stuff. We want to be able to keep growing. But a lot of times we push off that hope. That hope is deferred in our life. And so you end up being bitter and cynical, like I said. And maybe for you this is a job that you're in. You're, you're in a job and you know, you're, keep working at the job and you feel like they need you in this job. And so you don't feel like you, you should leave the job, even though it seems like an unhealthy place to be. It seems like, you know, as you're, you're there, it's, it, it's constantly draining for you. They constantly need you. And, and you're working really out of a sense of duty. You're not working out of hope. But you had a hope for a better job than this. Maybe it's in your finances. And for some reason, Christians believe that finances are evil. And the love of money is evil. But to want to be able to support yourself, to have a home, to have a, a family that you can support, that's not an evil thing. It's not a bad thing to want to be able to support yourself. And so maybe people are telling you, no, don't worry about finances. You know, that doesn't matter. Uh, just, just, just keep plugging away. You know? But we didn't, as, as Christians, necessarily take a vow of poverty, that God still wants to support you. So it's okay to want better finances in your life. This is not being greedy, but it's okay to want to be able to support yourself. Or, or it could be in your marriage that really in your marriage that you feel like now you're just working out of a sense of duty and, and you're working because you committed to be with each other and you committed to, for, to the kids and so you're really kind of married single. And maybe this is where you're at. Now, a little context. I'm not telling you to go divorce your husband, to go divorce your wife after this talk. I'm not telling you necessarily to leave your job. I'm not telling you to kick your kids out of the house who are constantly annoying you because they're 20, but maybe I'm telling you that if they're 20 and they're still living there and they're not doing anything with their life. <laughs> so little context there. I'm not telling you to be greedy, and, and this isn't prosperity gospel, that if you believe in Jesus, then, you're gonna, you, then you're gonna, you should be driving a Bentley, and if you're not driving a Bentley, then you don't really believe. This isn't that either. But what, like I said, I want to talk to you today, people today who are facing two godly options in your life, like do I stay in this job or do I go to a different job? Do I, do I stay in this friendship? Because maybe it's a friend. Like I talked to you about the water. Do I stay with my friend? And my friend constantly needs me for things, but uh, do I stay with them or do I kind of just begin to draw bigger boundaries with them? What do I do in this situation? Because if you don't do something, if you keep deferring hope 
in your life. Then there's the second Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. In other words, if you keep deferring hope and your heart becomes sick, then that's going to change. That's going to be the lens. Your heart is the source. The source of sustainable success is a heart filled with hope. That if, if you continue to live without hope in your life, without hope in your heart, that, that will begin to affect everything that you see. Your heart is the lens of your life. It's the lens of your soul. So if your heart is good, you can keep going through difficult situations and stay positive in spite of the difficulties. If your heart is not good, that's where we become bitter and cynical and resentful and deceptive. And so I want to talk to you today through the story of Jacob and how how Jacob really dealt with these things and how Jacob kept deferring his hope because he wouldn't speak up in his circumstances and then how because of that, his heart became sick and he became deceptive. So (laughs) the first verse I want to look at is Genesis 25, 21. Here it is. Isaac pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer, and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb, so she went to ask the Lord about it. Why is this happening to me, she asked. Right, this would have been a good sermon for last week, for Mother's Day. You're praying for twins, and now you have, or you're praying for kids, and now you have twins, and you're like, and they're, they're struggling in the womb, they're fighting in the womb, and you're like, why is this happening to me? Some mothers, that's what they want to say. Why is this happening to me? It might be the thing that you want to say, but you can imagine, you know, Rebecca goes to the ultrasound appointment. She's sitting there. The tech puts the jelly on the ultrasound device and puts it on her stomach, and then the ultrasound tech is like, whoa, hold up. Like, this is crazy, and she turns the monitor around, display around, and the the mom sees, Rebecca sees, that her two kids are actually going at it in her womb. They're fighting in her womb. And God says um, to her, the sons in your room will become two nations. From the very beginning, the two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other, and your older son will serve the younger son. And so they come out, and, and Esau comes out first. And he's, he's all red, and he's hairy, and his name actually means that. It means red. And so he comes out of the womb, and then grasping at his heel... Is, is Jacob, the younger one. And, and so they give him the name Jacob, and Jacob actually means heel grabber. That's what Jacob means. So before Jacob was ever conscious, he was already grasping to get ahead. You see, to be the firstborn in this culture meant that you got a lot more than, than everybody else. See, the firstborn, once the father died, he received the inheritance, the firstborn son. And, and he received a greater portion of the inheritance, and he would take over the land. And so Jacob missed being able to get all of these things only by a few seconds. And so Jacob, before he's even conscious, is trying to grasp to get ahead. He's grasping at the heel. He had this kind of me-first mentality. And I think that me-first mentality is in our society today. We all want to be me-first. 
right? I was waiting at, at, um, on a plane to go for a, a plane um, to our, on vacation when, a couple weeks back, and it was on Southwest, and they don't have assigned seating. They have groupings. And so we were waiting to get into the, the, the check-in, and, you know, there's, or to get on the plane, and there's, like, you know, a bunch of people waiting, a big crowd of people waiting, kind of pushing because it's me first. And once we got on the plane, people were pushing for me first to get to the baggage, to put their baggage away. And, I mean, you think about me first, that if we're a me first society, just, just get on the road, just drive, and, and see that we are a me first society. You see, we're all trying to be er, better, stronger, faster, thinner than her. We all want to be in, in er, whatever er is for you. Um, it, Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, God called him out of a land of Ur. I wonder if we're all living our, in our own little land of, of Ur, you know, better, stronger, faster, and God's trying to call us out of our land of Ur. Because the problem of, with living in the land of Ur is that there's somebody who's always Ur-Ur. And so whatever you're doing in comparison, you don't feel good enough. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. And so Jacob is living in a time where he is in the shadow of Esau out of what he didn't get only by a few seconds. And when we pick up the story here, Jacob is now 70 to 76 years old. Esau has sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of beans, which we're not going to cover, but... um, but now Jacob is, is in the tents, and it says that Jacob basically grew up, and he stays in the tents with his, his mom, Rebecca, while Esau gets to be the one who's going to get more of the inheritance. He's going to be the one to get to take over the land after dad dies, and he gets the one to be out hunting things. And so Jacob is a hunter, or sorry, Esau is a hunter, and Jacob is in the kitchen helping with mom. And he is living in the shadow of Esau, and all of this time, the 70, 76 years, whatever, however old he is at this point in his life, he's been living with that his whole life. This kind of thing like Esau gets this, and I only get this. And kind of that sibling rivalry kind of thing. And Jacob's hope is deferred that he would get to the blessings that he wants. And he feels like Esau is the favored son. And so Jacob in this time, like the Proverbs is talking about, his heart is getting sick. And and Rebecca comes up with this plan um, for Jacob because she hears Isaac tell Esau that it's now time for him to bless him. So he tells Esau, go hunt some game and, and make me dinner, and then after dinner, I'll bless you. Well, Isaac is blind, and he can't see. And so Rebecca comes up with this plan. And in Genesis 27, it reads, then she, Rebecca took Esau's favorite clothes. Now these boys are 70 to 76. At what point does the mom stop having her clothes in these boys' house and start making them grow up themselves? I don't know. So they had the boys, which were Esau's favorite clothes, which were in, there in the house, and gave them to her younger son, Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of young goats. Then she gave Jacob the delicious meal, including freshly breaked, breaked baked, bread. So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son, Isaac answered, 
Who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, It's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here is the wild game. Now sit up and eat so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, How did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord your God put it in my path. He's giving God the credit for his lie because he has the, the goat, so he feels hairy like, like Esau. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you are really Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father, and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau's. And so Jacob gets the blessing, what Isaac was supposed to get, and Isaac, or Esau, or what Esau was supposed to get. And so Esau comes home, and Esau is so angry that he wants to kill Jacob. And and so Jacob so is, is good with a skillet. He's been in the, the kitchen all his life. But Esau is good with a gun. Rock, paper, scissors, gun beats skillet every time. And so Rebecca sees that her son is in trouble, and she tells Jacob, you better run, boy. <laughs> and so Jacob heads off running. And he's running, and the blessing that he wanted and that he had prayed for he didn't get, I mean, he got it, but now that he's got it, he's not sure if he really wants it. You see, it's possible to pray for what you want, but then not want what you've got. And this is where Jacob's at in his life. He has, has got the blessing, but now he's running from the land that's supposed to be his, that, that is the promised land, and he's running from his family. And he's, he'll be on the run for 21 years, which is a very long time to be away and he's running and he's running and and the problem is is that Jacob was trying to get the blessing dressed up as Esau he was trying to be who God had wouldn't didn't call him to be and he didn't speak up the whole 70 76 years to his dad about this he had been trying to deceive deceive his dad and, and hold this resentment in his heart that Esau seems like the favored son. And so he's, he's having this unsatisfying blessing that he, he's received. And then here's my, my main point for this, for this, really for this talk, is that God won't bless who you pretend to be. God won't bless who you pretend to be. You can't sustain hope in a life that is not really you. And God won't bless Esau or Jacob dressed up like Esau. See, there's there's uh, there's the me that I want to be. I mean, if you were to meet this guy, he is kind, but he can be firm too, if need be. He he's he's fun loving, but he can be serious when that when the occasion calls for it. He he's fit and he's always you know doing well and, and healthy, but he can have fun and have a dessert every now and then too. See, this is the me I want to be. But, and so many of us try to portray that. We portray that mask. But God won't minister to your mask. He won't bless your facade. And, and so there's girls going to school or going to college or, or in life dressing a certain way for the love of a boy, but they're mistaking lust for love. And, and the, the, the love or the lust they're really getting is really not going to fulfill their lives. But they're portraying a facade to try to get what they want, to try to get their hope, but they can't really get it. 
And there's boys who are going to school or, or men who are living in life who are artistic and compassionate, but they don't want to show their heart because they're going to get beat up or they're going to get bullied or made fun of. And so they try to pretend like they're hard and don't show who they really are. You see, Jesus said, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? Lose your very self. What good is it to gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? You see, you might fool Isaac, but you can't fool yourself. You might fool your neighbor, but you can't fool God. We can't continue to sustain a life without hope and without living really who we are. So so Jacob is on the run, and, and Jacob is running, and he comes to this place, this well, and he meets this woman, this beautiful woman, Rachel, and he tells who he is, and he understands. He finds out who she is. She's actually his cousin. And so she brings him home to Laban, and his uncle Laban. And he ends up living with his uncle Laban and, and says, um, hey, I'll end up working for you for seven years if you let me marry my cousin Rachel. And then some of you are like, I didn't know Jacob was from Roy. And, but he's going to marry his cousin there. And, uh, and so Jacob Laban says this. He says, Agreed. I'd rather give her to you than to anyone else. Stay and work with me. So Jacob worked for seven years to pay for Rachel. But his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Oh, it's a Hallmark card. Oh, it's so nice. His love for her was so strong, it would only be like a few days. And finally, it came time for her to, him to marry her. And then he says, I have fulfilled my, my agreement. Now give me my wife so I can sleep with her. Because <laughs> right, it had been seven years. So he wants to sleep with his wife, this woman. It's kind of like not the Hallmark card anymore, right? Um, But when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah. What have you done to me? Jacob raged. He raged at Laban. I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? Um, So here it is, like like Jacob, he's so excited for Rachel. It seems only but a few days, even though it was seven years he was working for this woman because his love for her was so strong. And, and now he ends, wakes up and he finds that it's Leah. The Bible describes Leah and it says that Leah didn't have a sparkle in her eye. Translation, she hit every tree, every branch falling down from the ugly tree. She was not a good looking woman. And, and Jacob wanted Rachel. He didn't want Leah but Laban gives them this excuse that it's not their custom to marry the, the younger daughter before the older one. And, and so it might have seemed like a few days, but it was still seven years. Now remember, I mean, g- given a, a conservative estimate that Jacob is now 70 years old, that means he's 77 years old right now. And he's got to work another seven years to be able to get, to get Rachel. That means he's going to be 84. He's too old for this. Like, what is he doing? He is having to work a long time, and he's having to work for Leah, or work for Rachel now for these next seven years, and he's working out of a sense of duty because he made this commitment, and he wanted to get Rachel, and now he's working out of a sense of duty for his, for his life. And the problem is that that when, when we work out of a sense of duty in our life, oftentimes we're continuing to work without that sense of hope 
in our lives. We're working without the sense of, of who God's calling us to be. We're only working out of a sense of duty in our life. And he's having to work for another seven years for Rachel. And, and when you're stuck working out of a sense of duty in your life, when you're deferring hope, again, your heart can become sick. And you can begin to, to get bitter and cynical and, and lose hope in your life. We need, you can't live without hope. You can't continue to live your life without hope. Some of you are thinking about, you know, what's this decision that I'm going to make? You know, should I stay in this job? Should I leave this job? Should I stay in this community? Should I leave this community? Should I stay in this friendship? Should I leave this friendship? Whatever you're facing, and you're having these questions, but more than about the physical circumstances, God really cares about your motives. Are you making a godly decision based off of a godly motive? That's really what God cares about. Are you, are you, are you really working out of, out of a sense of who God has called you to be? Because God doesn't want you to work out of a sense of duty when that means that you're going to be losing hope in your life and you're not going to have a heart filled with hope and your heart is going to become sick and you're going to become bitter and resentful and cynical and deceptive like Jacob is here. And, and so God wants you to be able to do that because we need hope. Uh, Rick Warren said you can live a couple weeks without food, a couple days without water, a couple minutes without air, but no one can even live a, a short amount of time without hope. To look at this, I mean, you had Jews back in, in the concentration camp, and I heard of a story there where the Nazis had these Jews move this big pile of dirt or garbage, and they had all of the Jews in the concentration camp move it from one end of a field to the other end of the field. And then the next day, they had them, and the, you know, so they did it, and they're like, yeah, whatever, and they're, maybe they're trying to move it to get it out of the way, I don't know. So then they moved this big garbage or big dirt heap back to the same spot. And day after day, the Nazis just kept having these Jews move the pile back and forth between these two spots. And then after a while, people just started going insane. People just started getting depressed. People even committed suicide because their life lacked hope. They lacked purpose. They, un- they couldn't understand why are they doing. They just felt like they were surviving. You see, we need to have hope in our life to keep going, to keep moving forward. And, and maybe you're, you're working in a job, and you're not sure if you should keep working in this job. Well, well God wants to say to you, you know, you, it's, it's really about your motives, that you've got to have hope in whatever you're doing, whether it's a job, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a marriage. Now, again, context, I'm not telling you to leave any of these things, but what I'm telling you to do is that you can't go on in these things without hope. Just like Jacob, he worked for another seven years and didn't fully speak up to Laban about what he really wanted, about his hope. He didn't voice his hope. And that's the first step to, being, to finding any kind of difference in your life, to being able to make a decision is to include others in that or to speak up to the party that you feel is, is keeping you locked in. That you would speak up to them and say, hey, there's, this is what I'm th- thinking, this is what I'm feeling, because God wants to work through that. But Jacob is spending so much of his time just focused on trying to, trying to do what he thinks he should do, keep working out of duty. But 
but when we do that, just like the story with, with the Jews, we live life in despair. We, it ultimately leads from duty into despair in our life. And Because when there's no hope in your life, then you, you just fall into a place of despair and desperation. And I feel like we're losing people in our lives that are, that are just living in despair. There's people who are giving up on marriages because they have no hope in their marriage anymore. There's people who are giving up on, on jobs, on communities, because they have no hope. There's people giving up on relationships. There's people giving up on themselves because they have no hope anymore. There's people giving up on their faith because they have no hope anymore that it's making a difference in their life. But we need to live with hope. We need to be able to stand up and fight and bring the gospel into these situations because where there's the gospel, there is hope, the hope of Jesus Christ, that he can come into these situations. And no matter what they are, he can bring his hope for people to be able to find hope in the name of Jesus Christ. So we've got to pray for our cities. We've got to pray for our schools. We've got to pray for our families. We've got to pray for the people around us that they might know the hope of Jesus Christ because they are living life without hope, and that means they're living life in cynicism, bitterness, resentment, despair. And that's not the place where God has called them to be. And that's where Jacob is living. And so Jacob ends up deceiving Laban, and he he says, I don't want to work here anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. And so he takes his family, he takes all of his stuff, and he sneaks away from Laban. But then in Genesis 31, 25, it says, Laban caught up with Jacob as he was camped in the hill country of Gilead, and he set up his camp not far from Jacob's. What do you mean by deceiving me like this, Laban demanded? How dare you drag my daughters away like prisoners of war? And, and uh, Jacob says, I rushed away because I was afraid, Jacob answered. I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. See, Jacob's true feelings are now beginning to come out what he's really thinking. This is what he should have done from the very start. And so then Laban goes and goes through all of Jacob's stuff because he wants to make sure that Jacob didn't take anything of Laban's. And then Jacob responds, what's my crime, he demanded. What have I done wrong to make you chase after me as though I were a criminal? I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through cold and sleepless nights. Yes, for 20 years I stayed in your house. I worked for 14 years earning your two daughters, and then six more years for your flock. And you changed my wages ten times. In fact, if the God of my father had not been on my side, the, cha- the God of Abraham and the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen your abuse and my hard work. That is why he appeared to you last night and rebuked you. You see, Jacob has gone through this hard time. And now Jacob is finally beginning to, to say, what he's really feeling. See, this is where we need to get to our motivations, that we need to be real with each other and not have this, this, this hole in our heart from, from this deceptiveness and from not revealing how we're really feeling. And so then Jacob is, is leaves, so Laban lets Jacob leave, and so he leaves, and God calls him um, in Genesis 31.3, the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there, and I will be with you. See, God is calling Jacob back to his homeland. But what that means now is that Jacob is going to have to face Esau. 
And Jacob has his family. He has all, all of these things now. And, and God had promised him at Bethel that he, this would be his land, that the land he was on, the land he's going back to, would be the land where he would have all these inheritance and have all these, these sons. And the son, they would be as numerous of descendants as the, the stars. And, and Jacob has that dream of, of um, where there's angels descending and, and ascending on a ladder. And God promised this land to him at Bethel. And now he tells, God is telling Jacob to go back to this land. But Jacob is still afraid of Esau because he ran from Esau 21 years earlier. But he's going back to, to, to the, his land now. And so he's afraid. And so he tells, he, what he does is he comes up with this idea to send gifts in, st- in waves or in stages to Esau, to kind of appease Esau, to kind of manipulate Esau, to kind of weaken his resolve so that maybe he won't kill Jacob. And so Jacob sends all of these flocks and all of these gifts to Esau in waves, and then Jacob goes and he sends his family ahead of him, and Jacob is left by himself. And, and, so, and then Jacob is there by himself in this land, and sometimes that's the best work God will do with you, is when you, he finds you by yourself. And this is what happens. During the night, Jacob got up and took his wives, his two servant wives, and his 11 sons and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. Then this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Um, some believe that this man is the pre-incarnate form of Jesus. So, and, and it's funny because the wrestling and his, his hip is out of socket. And it's, it's like, like that's like the man touched it and caused that to happen. But Jacob is like 85 to 90 years old. So I'm just thinking like maybe his hip just came out of socket because he's really old. But, and he's wrestling. But, um, but Jacob will not let go of this man. He just, he's wrestling him, and, and they're wrestling all night. Um, and when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your ma- name, the man asked. It's funny, because they've been wrestling all night, and now they're just going to introduce each other. Um, he replied, Jacob. Your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you will be called Israel, because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name, the man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. You see, Jacob was left alone. And, he, and before the wrestling match with the man ever started, Jacob was wrestling. He was wrestling, do I follow God, what God told me to do to go back to the land? Or do I, do I follow my fear and, and not go back? What do I do? And he's wrestling internally with this. And then this man shows up and wrestles with Jacob. And this man says, ask me your name. Or, you know, tell me your name. And he says, my name is Jacob. See, 21 years earlier, he got blessed as Esau. Now he says, my name is Jacob. And Jacob means heel grabber. Jacob also means deceiver. Jacob had lived his life as a deceiver up to this point. 
But now Jacob admits who he really is. This is who I am. I'm heel grabber. I'm the one who's been grasping after things in my own strength, trying to do things in my own strength. I'm the one who is the deceiver, who's been trying to deceive people about who I really am. But, but as he's wrestling with this man, Jacob gets the courage and the strength to be able to admit who he really is and be able to admit his struggles. And, and now he's, he's wrestling with this man, and this man touches his, his hip, and his hip comes out of joint, and he's, he's, he's limping from that time on. But Jacob has admitted who he really is. And so this man blesses Jacob. And he says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel for you. For you. And Israel means um, struggles with God and has overcome. Israel struggles with God. And we know the nation of Israel. That's why the nation of Israel is called that, because Jacob is the one who had 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel or Jacob. And we would suspect now, or we would expect from this point on, that, that God would, would call um, that the, whole, the Bible would only call him by the name Israel. But sometimes it's Jacob and sometimes it's Israel. And I believe that God will honor your authenticity. When you meet God for who you really are, he'll meet you for who you really are. When you meet God with, with, and really come to him with everything you are, he'll meet you there. And then later on in the book of, of Genesis, um, we see that it talks about Moses. And Moses goes to the burning bush, and he asks, and God tells him to go free his people from Egypt. And God asks, or G- Moses asks God's name. And this is what God says to, to Moses in Exodus 3.15. Say to the Israelites, God, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and we're thinking he's going to say Israel, right? Because he, it's the God of, of Israel, because Jacob was the guy who was the, gra- the heel grabber, the deceiver. But here's what he says. He says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob too. See, this is point that hit me hard. Because I realized that Jacob had gone through his whole life trying to be deceptive, trying to, to grasp after things himself. Jacob had tried to do things in his own power, and now he was realizing, I can't, and I really need God, I need you, and, and so I'm going to struggle with God. And struggling with God is okay because that means you're in a relationship with God. And it means you're struggling with who you really are with God. And, and, and can God really accept me for who I am? This deceiver, this heel grabber, this selfish, greedy guy. Can, can God really accept me for, who, for that guy too? Can he just be the God of Israel, the God of, of everything that I do right? The God who just, just when I overcome, but it says no. When the Bible refers to who God is, he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, I'm not just the God of Israel. I'm the God of Jacob too. I'm the God of, of not just your good side, I'm the God of your bad side too. And no matter what you're facing or where you are today, he is the God of everything. If you would bring it all to him and just lay it before him, then God would say, I am the God of that too. I'm the God of everything and everything of who you are. Thank you, Jesus, that you are a God that loves me in all that you've called me to do. In your precious name we pray.